Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Michael Vandervoort on Drive3HR, and we're doing a Wednesday uh, show at an odd time. I have a friend and a, a longtime colleague that I've worked with for a number of years that are, we're going to talk some uh, some labor relations and some of the election outcome and how that might affect HR. Our guest is Phil Wilson. Phil is with the Labor Relations Institute. Hey, Phil, welcome back to Drive3HR. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks, Mike. It's good to, yeah, you're good to hear your voice. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I just said it's good to hear your voice. Oh yeah, likewise. Um, yeah, so uh, so that we can maximize the time of conversation, it'd be great if you could just give your quick bio for people that will listen in or download the show later on. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm president and general counsel of Labor Relations Institute, and also founder of Approachable Leadership. And uh, you know, related to today's call, just we you know we do a lot of work. Um, around, you know, labor relations and unions and, and, uh, you know, a lot of people are, are asking questions just like you are about like, what, what is the impact of a, you know, Biden administration uh, on, on labor relations? That's, that's kind of the most, uh, the most asked question. Although, you know, it's really important also to think about, okay, if Trump's reelected, what is that? How does that impact um, the future? So. Yeah, and I, and like I, 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 like I said, I sent you a list of topics, and that's actually the first one, uh, just sort of, g- you know, general highlights about what the differences between Trump in policy to Trump and Biden as they are now, or what we would see, and that's a huge discussion. But we'll kind of focus in on it. But I guess, um, you know, to kind of set this up, like right now, obviously there's an election, big election. If you haven't heard. Uh, Probably too late to vote, but please what? vote if you haven't. What? An election? What? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how many billions of dollars this thing is it's being spent on uh, ad revenue and sponsorships, but we don't get any of it. We're completely uh, <laughs> un- on this show. <laughs> Unbeholden yeah. to any interest on this show except our own. Um, but no, I, you know, the, the Trump administration, like you and I did a presentation a few years back trying to prognosticate what Trump would be like, you know, from a labor policy perspective as president. And we hit some of the things and I'm sure we missed some of the things. I'm not going to rehash that for, we did that for Sherm a while back, but, um, mm-hmm. the guy definitely has come in and the, the people in his administration have definitely had a big impact on labor relations policy. Uh, they reversed, uh, and you might be able to give some statistics on this in a second, Phil, but like basically mm-hmm. the the Obama administration took a huge swing and changed things much more than had ever been. So many established precedents and so much mm-hmm. history of Obama, they changed it, like almost everything. And then yeah. and then Trump came in and started rolling that back. And it took a little while, but the NLRB has changed. And so I, like I, I don't know like. I don't know if we're, if we're back to where we started, but I'd be interested to kind of hear your take on what transpired in that change and where we're at now. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, it was really frustrating and disappointing at the beginning of the Trump administration. Like if you're on, you know, we, we we're on the employer side um, in terms of our practice and, and, you know, we, we you know, we help companies. And so, um, you know, there, there were a lot of, as you just suggested you know during during the obama administration 
there were, and I can't remember the number of years, but it, it was hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, may have even been uh, more than that, but, but, you know, so hundreds of years of precedent that had been returned. And so there was a, you know, a hope that if the administration were to flip parties that you would have a lot of that uh, rolled back. And it really, it really did take, it was, you know, there was a couple of years where, you know, first of all, it takes, it takes a little while. We'll talk about this with Biden, but it takes a little while before, um, before board, you know, the, the board majority changes to the president's party. So there's always a lag there. And then um, even once the majority turns to the president's party, like in, in this particular situation, um, you know, there was, uh, there were some issues around, you know, just, just like getting, getting people nominated, um, right. getting people Senate confirmed, you know, it took, it took a long time. And then, and then there was questions about, there was this whole recusal issue. So, so there was a lot of, there were just like a lot of, you know, refrigerators thrown on the, you know, the tracks at the beginning of the, um, the beginning of the administration. And you also had two, you know, Democrats on the board that were, you know, that, that were really expert at just sort of gumming things up. And, 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 you know, I call that, you know, playing like the, you know, the four corners uh, offense, but, you know, they were, they just were really doing everything that they could to slow things down. Now that said, you know, the last couple of years, um, the board has just done, you know, a massive amount of work rolling back a lot of the things that came up during the Obama administration. They've engaged in a lot more rulemaking, um, which is a lot, which is more permanent than case law. Um, so they, they've, you know, if you kind of look at the list of things that they've accomplished over the last year and a half, um, it's remarkable. I mean, they've, they've really done a lot. And most of it, uh, obviously, to, you know, from, well, from the labor side, much redundant, I'm sure, but from a business perspective, kind of going back more to what the, the norm had been for quite a long time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and trying to, I think, to restore some balance. Um, we, we, we might want to talk about the NLRB for just a second um, as an agency. And it just kind of, I know most people probably know, but there are a lot who don't. Um, just kind of how they work, yeah. though, the, the board and the members. Yeah, so it's a five-member panel. They are, uh, you know, they have to be Senate confirmed. Um, they are, are, you know, the way that the way it's designed is that these five seats they rotate, um, and and today there's actually only four people seated. So there's mm-hmm. a Democrat seat that's open. Um, traditionally, the board has always had the uh, the three of the five members are from the president's party, and then two of the five members are in the opposing party. Um, and so generally speaking, the way it works. And so let's just pretend for a second that Biden is elected. What, what would happen is the current four members would stay, would stay seated. And so uh, Biden would have the opportunity uh, to fill the one seat that's empty and he would fill that with a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Then the next seat that would come open would be uh, Bill Emanuel's seat will come open in uh, the fall of next year, uh, I think in August of next year. So that when that seat came open, that would be the first opportunity to get a Democrat majority in the board. So the board will continue to have a Republican majority until um, next August, for, you know, for sure. And then, of course, there's all, you know, the same thing that happened with the, you know, with the Trump board. Um, 
you know, just because the seat's open doesn't mean that someone gets nominated and confirmed for it. And so if the Senate, for example, remained in Republican hands, um, it's uh, it's very likely you would see something, you know, not unlike you saw at the beginning of, uh, you know, the Obama administration, uh, where, you know, they would not confirm people. And, um, you know, you can, you know, you can, you can imagine a scenario that would be, you know, not unlike the Noel Canning, you know, situation yeah, yeah. where if the board gets down to two people, it no longer has a quorum and then it isn't really able to conduct um, much business. But that, so, but anyway, I got down a rabbit trail there, but you're, you know, it's generally, it's five people. Um, it will ultimately be majority in the, in the president's party. Um, and then, um, then there's also a general counsel who's also really important role uh, and they are also in the president's party normally, but it's the same situation. So, so this general counsel, uh, Peter Robb, he will his term expires in November of next year. So he'll continue to be the general counsel of the board for you know the first year of a um, of a Biden administration. You know if that should come to pass. Yeah, and so it's, it's the so the because it's an agency rather than a, a cabinet post. They get to kind of hang around for a while longer, and then of course there's a whole embedded uh, staff behind them that that stay uh, stay employed no matter which administration is in for the most part, mm-hmm. all the administrative mm-hmm. law judges and so forth. So um, much uh, esoteric for a lot of HR practitioners who are non-union don't deal with the board a lot, but it has a lot of power and it really has caused a lot of disruption in the business community with these really wide swings. It doesn't look like that's going to come to a halt anytime soon, unless Trump is reelected. I guess that'll that'll make it more stable, and we'll see more uh, more policies roll back. I'm curious what you mm-hmm. think about. I guess a place to start to talk about the differences. So Trump second yeah. second uh, term. What does that hold? Well, for, and just real quick for HR practitioners, um, you know, I think during the Obama administration, you know, they, there were lots and lots of changes that, you know, uh, for an agency that would ordinarily really knock it on the radar of the vast majority of HR practitioners, you know, they started weighing in on like handbooks, for example, uh, or, um, and, 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 you know, litigating unfair labor practice charges in situations where there was no union around at all, but they would say this policy, for example, yeah, joint employer is a good example, Um, you know, the civility cases like there were there were, uh, uh, you know investigations of uh, you know of of employee relations complaints like that you know they were weighing in on a lot of stuff that did impact just the average HR practitioner now those those were rolled back um, during the uh, the Trump administration so so the Ring Board John Ring is chairman of of the board so like you know often they'll call it by the name of the chairman so the the Ring Board um, has rolled back a lot of uh, a lot of that stuff, but, and, and, and then to answer your question. So if Trump is reelected, you know, I think you can expect to see, you know, more, um, just a continuation of what you saw, uh, over the last couple of years. So there's been a lot of rulemaking. I would expect to see more rulemaking. Um, there's, you know, we're expecting a rule on, uh, for example, you know, a few years ago, there was a pretty popular case, uh, where the Northwestern football team was uh, right. attempting to organize, but there, you know, there's a, there's a big rulemaking coming around whether students are employees covered by the act. Um, and then, and then of course, if they, 
uh, the, the, you know, it's likely that the rulemaking will say no. Um, but if they were covered by the act, then, you know, they would be able to organize a union. And so, for example, the, you know, the Northwestern football team might have uh, mm-hmm. been, been unionized. Um, the, uh, so, so I would expect more of that. The other kinds of things that I would hope um, that the board would look at would be things um, around like jurisdiction, for example, um, you know, what size companies, you know, really what size companies w- was this act really intended to you know, mm. cover and to deal with um, that, that really hasn't been, um, you know, looked at carefully in a long time. And it's one of those things where, you know, the, you know, small companies and, you know, if you look at union petitions, there's tons of these petitions that are filed with units of, you know, two or three or four employees, which that is not the type of company this law was, you know, intended to target. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that would be a place I'd like to, you know, I think it would be great to see, um, you know, work done in that area. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of non-traditional labor groups that, uh, and unions are actually, you know, doing a lot of work to kind of, you know, skirt around some of these rules by doing it through kind of non-traditional uh, groups. It would be great to see some action around things like worker centers or some of these lobbying type groups like Fight for 15, you know, to get clarity around, do they have to report? Do they have to, you know, uh, you know, if they, if they ask people to walk out, you know, can, can they be found to be encouraging intermittent strikes? Yeah, go ahead. Isn't that kind of stuff covered more by OLMS than NLRB? Well, like intermittent striking, for example, would be NLRB. NLRB. Um, But yeah, the, the reporting is department of labor. Yeah. Yeah, just it's just to be clear for those listening, we're not talking some some of these items aren't directly under the the control of the NLRB. That's all I was mm-hmm. getting. Yeah, um, good good call out. Yeah, sure. My one moment of expertise on the call. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, the other thing in the trend, I I, I had I I had said sort of a list of just general topics, and one of the other things that I that is still going on. He just did a, a, a lot of use of executive orders by President Trump. Uh, mm-hmm. on many things, you know, anything almost, but specifically the labor <laughs> policy, a couple that just came out was he rolled back uh, protections in the public se- sector just a few months mm-hmm. ago, you know, about collective bargaining, kind of trying to, you know, did, ordered some contracts to be reneged on, basically. And then the, just, mm-hmm. I think, last week, put out an order that removed civil service protection for many jobs where making them at will employment, which is very similar to the private sector, but has not been the norm in the government for a lot of reasons, including in, in some schools of thought, helping to avoid corruption in the public service. Mm-hmm. So he's, I'm, right. If he's doing that now towards the end of his presidency, I'm sure he's going to continue down that same path as well. Do you, you know, that's not something discuss a lot, yeah. but I have, you have a view there. Yeah. Well, and then prohibiting DNI, you know, training yep. was a, you know, yep. was another big one. Like, yeah, there, it's been interesting the amount of, um, not well, you know, so executive orders is is kind of one area, um, and then at, on the board side of that, the the rulemaking in addition to that. So there, you know, there, mm-hmm. this has not been the traditional way that the board has um, dealt with issues. They, they, it's been pretty rare. In their history to to engage in rulemaking, 
Um, but but this board has engaged in a lot of rulemaking. The Obama board did some rulemaking as well. Um, but that's certainly a trend. I would expect whether Trump wins or Biden wins, I would expect the board. Uh, I don't think they're going to go backwards. Like they're, they're they may undo rules that or or you know reissue new rules that um, that reverse what the prior administration did. But my guess is that we're going to see you know increased use of rulemaking um, at the board no matter who wins um you know the issues will be different but the but the rulemaking will continue um but yeah yeah i think that um like just looking at the trump side for a second and swing over by because that's all discussion um i think under uh, my take under trump in in the next term is he'll continue to move forward with the kind of things make trying to make the government smaller trying to make the regulations less uh, less mm-hmm. negatively impactful on business, you know, m- much to the concern and, and, and detriment of labor unions and the labor, you know, it, it, they'll, they'll call out to workers in general. You know, I don't, I don't know about that per se, but um, there won't be nearly as dramatic, uh, even though he'll be, you know, he'll be in his second and final term, at least that's the way the constitution says it, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not having a third term every now and then, but we'll see. I guess um, I should stop yeah. editorializing. Anyway, so Trump, will, I think, will be more of the same, but he he might be a little more bold because you know he's not theoretically not running for re-election. So we may see some other right. things that would be surprises. And I don't really have that. I can't point to a single thing, but it it's not going to be just quiet. Is my guess. Well, we'll still one see. thing one one thing I would expect that I'm actually shocked didn't happen um, in the first you know in in the first term is something big related to infrastructure, which, mm. um, which, which would really positively impact certainly construction unions would, um, would benefit a lot from an infrastructure deal. Um, and so I would, you know, I would expect that if, uh, if he's reelected that we would see some, you know, some massive infrastructure um, program, you know, I've, I've, I've felt like, that was a miss in the first term that would have had, had a major. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. So, and, and so I think, I think there's that, but yeah, I think, I think as far as board policy itself, I think it would be kind of a continuation of where we're at. You know, they, they've done some work to roll back the, the, what's called the ambush election rule, but they didn't really, you know, get rid of all of that. So there, you know, mm-hmm. so that's still kind of an open item. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, there's some of this interplay between like the uh, EEO uh, rules and um, and even Department of Labor rules. Uh, you know, I think there's I think there's still work to be done, sort of coordinating these three separate agencies that deal with employment and and you know coordinating between them. Um, this whole issue of what is a labor union is still very um, very much open question. The general counsel just issued a uh, advice memo around um, what are called neutrality agreements. And I put that in air quotes because typically these agreements are uh, neutrality might be a, a small component of them, but they're, they're basically ways to pressure employers into giving unions, um, you know, rights and access um, that they would not otherwise have. And so the, the question is, is that, uh, basically, a benefit that's being given to the to unions, um, which which 
is illegal. Like you're, you know, you're, for example, you couldn't, you know, you can't bribe a union to leave your employees alone. That's just straight up a crime. Um, but if you're offering them access that they otherwise wouldn't have, you know, are you, are you giving, you know, are you giving them something of value? Um, and, and, you know, the, the, it looks like the, you know, well, certainly the general counsel's answer to that is yes. Yeah. And, and honestly, a lot of those uh, neutrality agreements are only agreed to after uh, some period of duress, usually a corporate mm-hmm. campaign or some other overriding, you know, some fear that somehow they'll impact your business negatively with a government contract or, oh, you know, you, most companies don't just say, oh, yes, we'll grant the neutrality agreement. That sounds like a good idea. It takes right. the motivation <laughs> to get a company to go that yeah. way. <laughs> Anyway, well, and, and um, yeah, exactly. Well, and unions will also, you know, the other the other way to know that it is a thing of value is that unions will spend millions of dollars to embarrass a company and try to right. pressure them into agreeing to one. So, exactly. You know, um, so not just for fun. Yeah, that's just that's just for fun. So, last thing on Trump, just you know, ob- an obvious one. It's not really in the. It's it's not really part of labor relations. Is is also ACA and whatever that whatever healthcare is going to look mm-hmm. like and that go up in the air that I don't think we would talk on it want to discuss it here but it's a huge you know kind of looming thing that is unknown mm-hmm. as well for HR folks and, and employers so that'll be that'll be one to keep an eye on let's uh, let's let's switch over to Joe Biden um, and mm-hmm. talk about what his platform looks like which is much much more of at least a return to the old Obama days, if not even going further than the Obama days. Quite a lot of changes here, potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say the chances... Uh, uh, so everything hangs on the Senate. Let, let's start there. So a Biden, okay. uh, a Joe Biden with a Republican majority Senate um, is, you know, there's going to be less happening than if you have a Biden president and a, and a majority democratic Senate. Um, so that's kind of like the, the first thing. And so, so let's talk about, let's talk about that. I mean, if you, you know, if you follow, you know, real clear politics, you know, there, there, there's a, there's a pretty significant um, chance that, you know, and that's of course, if you believe polls, um, right. But there's a significant chance at this point that you're going to have both Biden elected president and a majority Democrat Senate, even if it is, you know, even if it's 50 50, the, you know, Vice President Harris would break the ties. So, so that would be enough. I have a, every expectation, especially given the, the way that the, you know, the Republicans in the Senate, um, you know, push through the Barrett nomination. You know, I have every expectation that the Democrats, if they have a majority, would get rid of the filibuster rule which then means that they would be able to adopt legislation with just a straight up or down vote. Um, and of course the house is, you know, a, a solid majority Democrat. Um, and so what that means then is that there's, there's a high likelihood that um, legislation uh, gets passed, sent to Biden's desk and he would sign. And one of those, you know, the major piece of legislation that is like the number one priority for labor unions is something that's called the pro act um, and the PRO Act is essentially a laundry list of everything that unions have wanted since even before Obama became president. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the one the one big difference between and we can get into some of the specifics, but the one you know, the one thing that I think is a, a major difference between 
Obama when he came in because Obama came in with a with a mandate and he came in with a a majority uh, uh, in the Senate and in the House and had a um, you know had two years at the beginning of his that he was able to uh, you know could enact legislation um, the what you'll recall you just mentioned the ACA but yeah. Obama made the calculation his number one legislative priority was the ACA um, and that. Um, and, and that choice to make that the number one priority meant that some other priorities, like the Employee Free Choice Act, for example, which was labor's number one priority, um, that got pushed to the side. And if you remember, the you know, unions were pretty conflicted about the ACA themselves because part of that law was going to tax um, what they called quote unquote Cadillac healthcare plans that included a lot of collectively bargained healthcare plans. Um, right. So Obama pushed pushed unions to the side a little bit, um, not just a little bit, a lot, in order to get ACA passed. And then um, that actually was the death knell of the Employee Free Choice Act because uh, the Senate then flipped uh, at at the at the at that two year point, and they lost the ability to um, pass the Employee Free Choice Act. That's not going to happen in a Biden administration. Um, Biden is, I, I, I personally feel like is much more connected to labor unions than, uh, than Obama was and, and his priorities, even if, even if I, you know, even if that's not correct, um, mm-hmm. I just think Biden, Biden is much more, um, likely, you know, he, he, he unions are not going to make the same mistake that they made, um, when Obama was elected, that yeah. this, it will be the number one priority. No doubt. You and you also have an interesting view of the way that uh, Democrat, the Democratic Party in general, and their constituency uh, handle transitions in in power versus the way the Republicans do. You sort of have the view the Republicans are just kind of happy to be there, which is obviously Mm -hmm. not either. But I wonder if you could share that because I think it rolls right into the Pro Act and what we really need to worry about from a business perspective. Yeah, and this isn't even just my view. I'm I I won't. I won't. I, I won't. Uh, I won't attribute it because I don't <laughs> okay. know if he would like me to attribute it. But yeah. But um, but I, but I but I do agree in general with this with this idea that um, you know when the Democrats come in, uh, they have uh, they have a really like strong agenda, an idea of exactly where they want to go, and they start um, on day one and really kind of roll through that. And that has happened. I think if you just, you know, if you just compare Republican boards to democratic majority boards over, you know, the last say, you know, 30 years, um, I think you would find that to be true. They're just, they're more efficient. Uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, part of that may be related to, you know, they're like a lot of people don't know, but, but a significant amount of the NLRB's own employees are unionized. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, they're, like the the just the bureaucracy itself um, is more, I think, aligned with uh, a Democratic majority than a Republican majority. Uh, and but but so, so that you know, it's not just that they have the, the list because I think Republicans do have the list. And I'm going to comment on the ring board in just a second because I think okay. they sort of buck the, the 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 trend that I'm talking about. Um, but in general. Uh, I, I do feel like that the Democrats, when they get in, 
they are on a mission and they go after that mission, you know, um, aggressively, like on day one. Um, and then when Republican administrations come in, like I'll just use the, the example of the beginning of this administration, you know, the board was just not a, I mean, this wasn't a priority for, for the administration and getting, right. um, getting people, you know, getting people appointed to the board and getting them going um, just wasn't, it wasn't a priority. It was extremely frustrating to the business community. Um, but I think it's, a, I think it's symptomatic of this, I, of this basic idea that, you know, the, at the high, highest levels of the administration, um, you know, they were just kind of happy that they won the election and, and, uh, you know, this just wasn't really a priority. Uh, it, it, I can't imagine that very early on in the Biden administration, there will be an appointment made to that, uh, to that open mm-hmm. democratic seat. They will be moving the pro act there. You know, there, there will be a lot of action happening like right away. Um, if, if, uh, if Biden is elected. So that, right. uh, yeah, I think that's, that's the headline today. That, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go. I was just going to finish gonna, the thought. It's the headline about, today yeah. that Bernie Sanders is angling for uh, Secretary of Labor. Who knows? Probably just, <laughs> I yeah, saw that. Yeah, I saw that as well. But that would be interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, the, you know, the most shocking part of that story was that Vermont has a Republican governor. Which right. <laughs> I was like, because <laughs> yeah, because the main the main argument for why he won't be. Uh, uh, you know, won't get that seat was that he'd be replaced by a Republican governor. And I was like, what? Vermont has a Republican governor. Um, yeah. But the, the one, the one thing I would say to, to, to finish that last point is the ring board. I do feel like once they got rolling, you know, they were, they were as efficient um, that, you know, they felt to me kind of like, like the Democrats when they're kind of at their best, uh, you know, they they yeah. have they have they have really accomplished a uh, remarkable amount in a yeah in a in a short period of time. So that yeah, it took a long time for them to like get rolling, not by any fault of their own, but just yeah, there was just a lot of lag in the administ- administration. And and I, you know, to give Democrats credit, like that you know they were uh, you know they were they were they did a lot of things to sort of slow things down. Um, but once once they got rolling, they really they really did roll. Yep. So so let's let's talk. We got like 15 minutes left. That's unbelievable. But let's talk about the Pro Act so that we make sure we get the most you know significant things mm-hmm. before we run out of time. Um, Pro Act, as you mentioned, is sort of EFCA on steroids. And EFCA was the Employee Free Choice Act, which was you know thought very likely to be enacted when President Obama was elected. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen for a variety of reasons. It would have radically reformed. The National Labor Relations Act with a number of elements, uh, card check, which means that we wouldn't have to be a private ballot vote, and so on. The PRO Act has all of this and more. So you want to kind of spread that out for us, Phil? Yeah. Well, and and the one the one sort of minor you know correction to that is the PRO Act actually it includes there is card check as a um, as a remedy. For an employer that commits, you know, unfair labor practice charges, right. but the Pro Act itself does not have as kind of the initial way a union can go into a company is, you know, what's called card check. So basically, the union can just show to the government, 
show to the to the you know to the National Labor Relations Board, hey, we collected from a majority authorization cards from a majority of the employees at this company, so we now legally represent those employees. That's what card check means. Um, the the Pro Act surprisingly did not include um, card check as a as a way to bring a union in in the first place. Uh, I think the reason they left that out was because that became really the, the main focus of the fight against DEFCA was all around this idea of card check. Um, Biden, however, has said he would, first of all, he would adopt the PRO Act, but he would also add card check recognition um, as part of his platform. So in other words, he's willing to not just do the PRO Act, but go even further than the PRO Act. Um, mm-hmm. But the PRO Act has a number of, um, you know, really massive changes. So we just talked about card check. Um, uh, it has mandatory arbitration of first contracts. That was part of the Employee Free Choice Act as well. Um, so that means that if a company and a union, the union comes in and a company and that union have not agreed to a contract within 90 days, which is blazingly fast and um, oh. Uh, I think that just that whole idea is problematic. But if they don't have an agreement, then um, the parties can uh, the, the union can ask to have an arbitrator impose an agreement on the employer. Um, that's a massive, massive difference between the way this law has worked for its entire history. Um, and so that's that's a huge change. They want to do a lot to restrict um you know, an employer's ability to communicate to employees during campaign. So it gets rid of, um, you know, any kind of mandatory meeting. Uh, it, it includes something that these are a little in the weeds, but it includes what, what's called a, the persuader rule that basically requiring, um, you know, firms like mine or law firms to report to the Department of Labor um, work that they do for clients around, um, you know, union organizing activity. Uh, the joint employer rule it, 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 it uh, gets uh, you know goes back to the Obama uh, version of that, which basically you know increases the likelihood that um, two companies would be combined uh, for purposes of legal liability. It includes um, uh, uh, personal and uh, and corporate penalties that the law has the the labor the National Labor Relations Act has never had. Um, and that's on t- and, and like that's the you know there, there's other you know NLRB related stuff, but it also includes like a $15 hour minimum wage and um, uh, the like the California you know the gig worker um, rule and on and on and on. Like the list is overwhelming of things that it changes, but it would be the most dramatic change in labor law um, you know really since these laws like the Fair Labor Standards Act and the National Labor Relations Act first went into place after the yeah. Depression. And just to catch everybody up on acronyms and jargon, the PRO Act is the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, and it is the actual name of the act, so the Protecting Rights, PRO. Um, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. it would represent like a, a real sea change and, and something that probably, since we have like six per six and a half percent uh, union representation in private industry, this is probably something that's going to affect a, a ton of people, and especially a lot of people. It's something that you mentioned at the beginning: smaller businesses, perhaps much more than larger businesses, who may have the resources to prepare better. Um, so, what what should people in HR be thinking about right now related to this? I know we're only six days away from the election, but if this 
comes our way, what can you do now? Mm-hmm. Well, I've been telling people since the, you know, the pro, by the way, the PRO Act passed the House. Um, so it's already like one third of the way to being law. Um, and, and I think a lot of people don't really realize that. Um, but yeah, the, you know, you should be educating, you know, HR, HR pros should be educating their company leaders about the PRO Act like today. Um, and, uh, you know, the business community, and this is the same thing that happened in the Employee Free Choice Act. The business community was way, 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 way behind when, when, when it, 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 it almost passed. And the business community was way behind um, explaining, you know, to politicians and explaining to, you know, other stakeholders just how bad this would be for the economy and how bad this would be for jobs uh, and how just unfair it is. Um, that, but none of that is happening right now with the PRO Act. Like, it's just, uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, there are other things happening in the world today besides mm-hmm. you know, labor policy. Yeah, I get it. Sure, yeah. but, uh, but still, it's, um, it is the most significant change in labor law other than just the original passing of, of it. Um, so, so that's kind of number one. Um, you know, if, if you do end up with a uh, Biden administration, you know, you should be fully expecting things, you know, like, for example, employee handbooks um, have, have mostly become, you know, not really an area of focus once the, the NLRB issued its decision in the Boeing case. Um, so so that, that you should expect all that to flip back to where the board is going to be looking with a fine-tooth comb at, you know, every policy and procedure and handbook uh, provision that they get their hands on. Um, so, so all of that sort of stuff is going to become, you know, much, much more important to pay attention to. Um, you know, I think there's, you know, there's a number of other, you know, things like related to that. So like we talked about earlier, employee investigations, that's, you know, that, that they will mm-hmm. weigh back in on that. Um, something that I was surprised didn't pass or, or didn't come up during the Obama administration is um, the idea of being able to ha- to, to require uh, a witness for employee investigations. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that during the, the Clinton administration um, changed and uh, um, that got reversed in the, in the, the Bush administration, but uh, that I'm surprised that didn't happen, but I, I would expect you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Weingarten rule and applying that in non-union workplaces. So that what that basically means is that, if an employee asks for a witness and you don't give it to them, then then that disciplinary action would be illegal. Um, if you if you discipline them over you know an investigation that you conducted that um, they didn't get a witness, so that would you know that that's a major change for even for companies that otherwise don't have any union issues. Yep. So um, firms firms like yours, Phil, as well as the, whoever people have on staff as their employment lawyer, are no doubt going to be ready. To un, rule out a lot of a lot of advice and guidance around this stuff, and probably be looking for you to re, retain them for some cases and that kind of thing. But it's it's really important, I think, as an HR practitioner, it's really important that if you haven't you know heard about this and haven't spent a lot of time learning about it, go out and and look up the, the look up the act, read the language, understand what it would how it would change your company. Because um, it will really catch you by surprise if you haven't done that basic groundwork. And I know a lot of folks will already have done that. But if you haven't, you listen to this show, please get started now. 
Um, hey, Mike, one other just re, yeah, you know, resource ahead. that's yeah, one other resource that's free. Um, well, a couple things. So I, I'm I know I'm sure over the years, you know, people have heard about Q. Um, right. on the podcast, we also have a, a newsletter that's free that, you know, if, if you don't have like labor responsibility, um, and, and just kind of want to be able to get a quick overview of like what's happening. Um, and, and then in particular, as you just mentioned, you know, if the, if Biden wins and, um, you know, things start changing rapidly and you just want to have a, like a quick overview, we have a twice a month newsletter that people can sign up for that is, uh, like I said, it's free and it's just a great like summary of here's the most important stuff that's happened over the last month. Um, and that that's at LRI online L like in labor relations Institute online.com. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Um, sorry. I had, I was one other thing I was going to say, and I let me just regroup here. We've got four minutes left. So Phil, I guess, um, we kind of probably can't talk about the whole public sector thing, and I, we don't really deal with that much anyway with our relative interests. So uh, mm-hmm. let's let's prognosticate for a minute. I know you kind of took a position that it looks like the uh, the blue wave may happen, but one of my questions was, who do you think actually? Who do you think is going to win the election? Uh, well, like I said earlier, if you trust polls, um, uh, yeah. you know, it looks pretty it looks pretty grim for. Uh, for the president that said, you know, it didn't look like he was going to win last time and he did. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think, yeah, I, I think I I would say that there is a, uh, you know, reasonably solid chance. So even if the polls were as wrong as they were in 16, um, Biden would still win this time. Um, I think the real big question is going to be, you know, are we going to, is that going to happen on November 3rd? Or is mm-hmm. that going to be November 4th or 5th or December 4th or 5th or, you know, I, th- I think that's kind of the, for the, for the nation, I honestly like, um, you know, I hope that like, I hope it's a landslide, even if it's a, you know, it's either a landslide for Trump or a landslide for Biden. Like I, I just, I hope that we don't have, you know, 2000 all over again or worse. Um, yeah. We so, don't need but, but type of yeah. disruption. Yeah, we definitely yeah, don't need yeah. that. I, I, right. I, I voted for Biden. I'm, I'm pretty up on the, pretty up on the, uh, in the open on that. And I voted for mm. Clinton. Or anyway, um, yeah. So I don't um, know. I think. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say I, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I hope that Biden wins personally, but um, it will co- bring a lot of changes to work that will be bad. So, you know, kind of I, I, I sit on the fence, but I just think the the tone yeah. of the nation the change. Anyway, um, thanks for mm-hmm. doing this. We have about um, two minutes left, so let's. Uh, uh, the, the other question was, will we know before 2021? But that was more facetious. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, let's hope that doesn't happen. I know you mentioned LRIOnline.com and the, and the, the your Labor Relations Inc. Uh, newsletter, but tell folks about Approachable Leadership in like 30 seconds and where they might find more information on that and you if they want to reach out to you. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it, Approachable Leadership is our take on um, on the most important foundational behavior that all leaders need. Uh, you can learn about that on approachableleadership.com, all one word. Um, and then LRIOnline.com is uh, where you can, you know, 
see what we have to say about all things labor relations. But those are the two best places to find me. Great. Um, so thanks, everyone. This, as I said, this was, uh, you know, to kind of get a little discussion in. We're going to be on next Tuesday, Election Day. Robin and I will be there. We'll have Torin Ellis. And we're going to talk about the, how the election looks. So that, that we won't know, obviously. But Well, thanks for doing this. I'm going to go ahead and end the show. I'll send you the link here in a few minutes. And I appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Have a great week. Yeah, thanks for asking me to do it. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. Yeah, bye.